Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Fellowcast. We are back on our Who's Who series today. And with me today I have a very special guest. As always, all our guests are special. And in the form of Brett Johnson. Brett Johnson is a is many things, but he's a husband, he's a father, he's an author, he's an entrepreneur, a businessman, a life coach. I think there's so many labels we can slap on him, which he probably wouldn't like. But I'm going to leave the explaining who he is up to him today. So just take a moment and gather yourself and get ready to learn from this remarkable man, Brett Johnson. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Fellow Cast. This is another episode of Who's Who. And today I have a very special guest with me. Um, just like all our other guests are special, but <laughs> but I have Brett Johnson. He's kind of a celebrity, I would say, uh, in, in our church. And Brett Johnson is an author, he's a speaker, he's an entrepreneur. He's many things. He's quite a remarkable, accomplished man. Um, so welcome, Brett. Thank you for joining Thanks me for at the Fellow me. Well, Cast. Yeah, this is my first time upstairs over here. I must is say, I'm, I feel like I've been promoted or something <laughs> or called to the principal's office. You're, I'm not sure. You're in the heavenlies, <laughs> closer closer to heaven. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much, Brett, for, for taking the time. I know you're a you're busy welcome. man. No, you're welcome. But if, if you don't mind, maybe just start off by telling us about yourself, who you are, what you do, the, sure. the basics. Yeah, so who I am. Well, you mentioned that I write books. I've written about 12 books. and uh, But actually, that's part of what I do. Really, we're engaged in actually just changing people's lives. And okay. our focus is on how do we reach people in the marketplace, not from an evangelistic perspective, but how do we mobilize them and equip people to use their everyday work to extend the kingdom of God. And okay. so uh, we repurpose businesses, we bring about change in people's lives, in the lives of companies, and we try to do that enough so that cities and uh, nations are transformed. So okay. our tagline is kind of repurposing business, transforming society. So that's on the what we do side, yeah. and I'll probably unpack more who I am in a moment. Yes, I'm sure you will. All right, and, and I'm sure those who are listening, they'll pick up on a slight American accent there. Ah. Um, and and I, I found out that you lived, or I actually knew that you lived in the in the States for, for 25 years, I believe. Oh, that uh, was an old one, yeah. It ended up being about 30 years. Wow. So, yeah, we went over in 1986, actually. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us more about that. How did that happen? How did you're, you're South African, born and bred? Correct, yeah. So so how did you end up in, in the United States? Yeah, I was working at Pricewaterhouse at the time, and it was okay. quite common for them CA. to... CA. Yeah, chartered accountant. Okay. Yeah. So I did a BCom CA at UCT, worked in Cape Town. Okay. And then they sent me overseas. It was a long story, but eventually I ended up in San Francisco. And uh, we went over with two kids, and I remember I had $300 in my pocket. I thought that was pretty good, which <laughs> disappeared, in, <laughs> disappeared in two days. Uh, but I did have a job over there. Okay. And uh, so the idea was to go for a year and then come back. But as the plane landed, God said to me, this is going to be your home for quite a while. Sure. 
Yeah. Okay. And I just uh, as a sideline, I, I, I got had the privilege of listening to your wife before yeah. speak on hospitality and things. And, and I know you guys, you have quite a heart for hosting people in your home. Correct, and, and, yeah. you've, and you've had many, many um, people come through your home, right? And you've Correct. actually, uh, if I'm not mistaken, married some of those from out of your home. Yes, 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 we have. We've married people from out of our home. We've had within our community probably about 120 weddings or so. Wow. And uh, because that was one of the issues that we tackled. One of the things I write about is problems in society. We call them giants. And one of them is singleness in the Christian community. Okay. So I've written a couple of books on that. We've had a passion for seeing uh, stuck singles get married. Get and married. so we've now had the opportunity to marry many of them, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And then on the hosting side, we decided actually before we got married, Lynn prayed that we would have a ministry of hospitality. Okay. And uh, we actually did... Um, after we got married, we, we we had a tiny little house, like 70 square meters in yeah. Hart Bay, a cottage that we bought. And we thought, okay, this is good. We deserve some time alone. We've been doing youth ministry for many years. And God convicted us to put a spare bed in there. <laughs> and the first guy moved in after three weeks of our marriage. Oh, yeah. that was quick. <laughs> Not get, yeah. give you a lot of uh, um, time on your own then. That's right, yeah. Okay, and what's the challenges with that? So it's like, uh, how do you actually, do you think everyone can do that? Or do you think that's a, that's a calling? Or, or what's No, I don't think it's that? a calling. I think it's a commandment. Uh, you know, I think we're yeah. told to be hospitable. Yeah. And uh, especially for church leaders, Walter, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but actually, I read that one recently <laughs> when your wife's. <laughs> yeah, we're told to practice hospitality, and it, it takes some practice. You know, you got to get your plates in the right place, extra towels and all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and it's not convenient sometimes, yeah. uh, but you do get to see people up close and personal. Yeah. And so when they're up close and personal, you know, you're making tea together in the morning or whatever. I mean, I remember one time I had a, a young man stay with us for some time, so I'd started my informal husbands in training program. <laughs> and... Um, it was interesting when we moved houses to a different house. He came to check the the guest bathroom to see if I'd put the sign underneath the toilet seat, which was, you know, put the toilet seat down <laughs> for the ladies. <laughs> Chicks dig it when you put the toilet seat down. <laughs> so some of it is very practical. Okay, yeah. Well, that that makes sense, and I do think I, I agree with when you, when you say, you know, it is a it's a commandment, and I yeah. think a lot of people struggle with that. I think yeah. th me included. For me, yeah. it's a real stretch to think. Well, I need to have someone in my space yeah. for 24/7. See when you have some arguments, or it's not. It yeah. cannot be very comfortable. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, let's not get make it too uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> so you're back in South Africa now. Um, I, I presume you've, you've uh, correct. Yeah. So we felt felt that uh, together with the, the board of of one of our organizations in the states, that we need to come back to Cape Town for a season. Okay. And to uh, restart the training here, we came in 2003 with teams, the repurposing business teams, and we told the guys in Cape Town, we will repurpose 100 companies, in other words, bring in 10 teams 10 times, which sure. we did twice a year for five years. But you guys have to then pick up 10 cities in Southern Africa. That wow. was the deal. Wow. And, um, but we hadn't run training here for quite a while. So we felt for several reasons that almost like the harvest was ripe, that it was a time to do it over here in South Africa, that there was a window of opportunity. Okay. And so we've come over, we've restarted our training. We trained about 100 people last year, not just here. 27 were in Lagos, some up in Centurion, okay. and then in Cape Town. So we have five training locations running in Cape Town. So that's part of what we're doing is to get that up and going again, uh, which has been wonderful. Okay. And and maybe just uh, I'm jumping ahead, but tell us about this this repurposing of business. 
businesses? How does that work? What's the yeah. what's the end goal? I know obviously the the name says it, but but what's kind of the the process and then the end goal? And it sounds like it's kind of businesses discipling businesses. If if I'm yeah. if I'm not mistaken, yeah, that's pretty pretty good. Uh, the su- summary will do. Yeah, so what it is is this, is that God intended for business to be in his business. Mm. You know, it's very easy to, to get God into a business. They have a problem. They all want God in their business. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I got a tax issue. I got an, a receivables issue, a debtors issue, or whatever. But the bigger question is, how do we get our business into God's business? Yeah. And Jesus came and said, you know, didn't you know I should be about my father's business? Now, to be fair, the word for business and ministry in the Hebrew is the same word. Okay. So you can't say you're in ministry and I'm in business. No, you, we're both in God's business. Yeah. We're both in ministry either way. Yeah. And then Jesus said in John fifteen fifteen, you know, if you're not... You're not my friends if you don't understand my father's business. That's what he said. Mm. And so his idea was to commission uh, the apostles and his followers into the father's business. Now, many of us go about our business as if our business life is one life and our church life or our ministry life is another life, which is a very Greek idea. It's not a Hebrew idea. It's not God's idea. And so uh, from the beginning, God has uh, coached Adam and Eve in their work, if you like, and given them the job of working for him. Yeah. Uh, not doing worship, not even doing podcasts, believe yeah. it or not. <laughs> but actually, yeah, but actually uh, working for him and yeah. taking care of what he made for his pleasure. Yeah. And so when we disciple people, we teach them to work again the way that God originally designed them to work. Yeah. So I have another book I've written but not published called 31 Things We Should Know About the Way That God Works. I mean, because God has a specific way of working. Mm. And if I'm going to disciple somebody, I've got to teach them the way that God designed them to work. Now, for a company as a whole, which is what we do, uh, we have two types of training. One is we train consultants who can come along somebody. So somebody works at FNB and they're an accountant or mm. they're in marketing. How do they use their skill sets to come alongside somebody else? And then somebody owns a business somewhere. Like So next week I'm off to Madagascar. We'll come alongside businesses, discover businesses that want to get their business into God's business yeah. because people have a longing for purpose. Yeah. And uh, they want to know that what they do from nine to five, which is normally longer, uh, that it counts for something, that it means for something, that that they don't do all of that just so they can put food on the table. So uh, we help them discover the purpose of work, why work, what is work, how to work with God, how to collaborate with God in product development, marketing, sales, finance. Mm. Um, So how does God actually work? What does scripture say about every aspect of running an organization? And then how do we get that business into doing the things, the max that they can do, given what they've got in their hands? Mm. And so I think there's a couple of examples in Scripture. You know, David, King David, if I asked you what was his job, you might say, well, he was a king. Psalm 78 says God took him from being the shepherd of a sheep yeah. and made him the shepherd of a nation. Sure. Same job, different scope. Yeah. Right? Upgrade. Upgrade. <laughs> yeah. And that's what repurposing a business is. It's like giving it a kingdom tweak. Okay. So God took a guy like Peter, he didn't say to him, Peter, you know, I'm going to make you a gospel singer. I'm going to make you a preacher. I'm going to make you a church planter. He yeah. said, you're a fisherman. You got that? Yeah, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Oh, yeah, no, I get that. <laughs> right? He made it pretty yeah. easy. It's simple. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty simple. Paul was actually a builder of a religious system. He yeah. made him a builder of a religious system. Yeah. Right? Just tweaked it. Like Just tweaked it, yeah. Moses was... 
a government leader in Egypt. Mm. What did he make him? A government leader in Israel. Sure. And God seldom wastes what we have. The majority of us statistically are called to business, called to the marketplace. That could be teaching, you could be a lawyer, you could be whatever, but mm. called, 100% of us are called to work. Yeah. Where our I mean. paycheck comes from is a separate issue, yeah. right? And it's no more spiritual to get a paycheck from Milk Boss Fellowship than it is from Milk Boss Fisheries. Yeah, absolutely. You know? That's the way it is. And, and I, I, like, I like how you kind of uh, structure it but i want to know from you or let's let's start here so we can agree that i think it's it's everyone's purpose it's a it's kind of unearthing the divine design in people by right. by what you do kind of work yeah. is a is something that everyone 100 percent of people needs to work like you yeah. said so is this uh, model if i can call it that is it something that is only applied to already established Christian businesses or do you actually go into non-Christian um, spheres of, of, of uh, yeah. the secular world and, and then because we know that most good principles in the world are based on biblical stuff in any way whether people want to believe that or not that's that's the fact so maybe to make the question simple do you apply this to non-Christian businesses as well have you had that happen yeah we did so this week for example I sat with uh, two leaders in a company one's a believer the other guy, not, okay. right? And how do I know? Because when the one guy left the room, the guy who who evidently isn't, uh, we have a conversation. He tells me a bit about his life. And um, he says to me, you know, I don't have a faith. Sure. And uh, then he begins to tell me his story. You know, his grandfather was a preacher. And he was very strict on his father who became an atheist and on and on. And he has cousins who are missionaries okay. and so forth. But he doesn't have a faith. Yeah. And he wonders if there's something missing. Now, he's telling me this unprompted, <laughs> right? <laughs> but I said to him, actually, you do have a faith. And he was a bit shocked. I said, uh, I told my Chinese communist guys who came into my office once in Silicon Valley, you have faith. Yeah. Everybody has faith. You either have faith that there's one God or like my Indian friends, that there's many God, mm. or you have faith that there's no God, but you do have faith. You believe <laughs> it all takes faith. You do have faith. Yeah. And since you're in business, you take risks every day, you have faith, yeah. because it takes faith to be in business. And in fact, you can't go about, you're busy planning to invest in Zambia, or to do this, or to do a marketing campaign, or to, I mean, the farmer, it takes faith to put that seed in yeah. the ground. So you do have faith. Yeah. Which kind of now the question is, what does he have faith in? Yeah. You know, so then it kind of opens up. So the principles apply. Yeah. And uh, so when we go into Madagascar next week, we will meet with general people, government leaders, business leaders, and they will come generally and we'll talk to them about uh, what are the assets in your nation? What are the problems in your nation? How c you can use a business to fight a giant in society? Mm. Now, these principles apply. It's like gravity. They're universal laws, exactly, right? Yeah. And so now we'll also speak to Christians. How do you integrate your career with your calling? How do you uh, combine together your work you do on a daily basis and what you're doing for eternity? Yeah. How do you 100% integrate those things? So we'll speak to both audiences. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I love I love that kind of I wouldn't I don't want to actually call it an idea because you're mm. you're doing it I, and mm. I love how that is able to to do the great commission yeah. uh, making disciples and, yeah. and seeing people within business and I think a lot of people get stuck in the the church building mentality instead of right. uh, being out there and yeah. applying what the what you learn within the church building or within the yeah. community and it's yeah. a beautiful thing yeah when I was pastoring a church which Lynn and I were doing back in Hart Bay uh, back in the day 
And uh, I, I thought, yeah, we need a discipleship program. Yeah. So I wrote a discipleship manual. Who is God? What is man? Sin, baptism, finances, prayer, you name it, yeah. right? Holy Spirit, 10 things. Got the whole manual <laughs> together. It was a whole chadunta to make it happen. And everybody signed up who was a woman. The men didn't sign up wow. because the men are like, no, I'm not going to go and sit in a room and tell somebody my stuff and yeah. do I read my Bible, do I pray? You know, They're not going to do that. Men like to work together, right? But I could get a guy and say, okay, I need my te- trees trimmed or I need this or can you help with that? Oh, yeah, fine, I'll be there, right? So it's easier to give a guy a job than enroll him in a discipleship program. Sure. I learned that pretty quickly. Wow. Then in 2013, uh, I thought, you know, we have so many crazy stories about what God's done in the marketplace. I should get those out there on a daily basis. So we developed an app called BizCipleship, like B-I-Z or B-I-Z Discipleship. So we developed this app, put up daily stories and so on. And um, But when I was developing that, a guy emailed me from Egypt and said, Brett, I kind of feel in prayer that you're working on something important and you better get it right because you won't be able to fix it for many years. I thought, well, what I'm working on is this discipleship thing. What was I doing? What I'd done before as a pastor, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, this is what you got to do kind of deal. And I felt God say to me two things. Brett, you're not a theologian, which I know. (laughs) Secondly, uh, people don't care about theology. Guys in the marketplace don't care about theology. They want to know, is there a story of this happening to somebody else? I run a bakery. Did God do something in a bakery before, right? Uh, Testimony. uh, Yeah, uh, they want to know the power of the testimony. Mm. And then you can draw the principle from the the testimony. So you can say, okay, this is what happened. So here in South Africa, one of my friends, you know, they had an issue with uh, wine. And they went through the winemaking process, right? And a student messed up the whole thing, and they had 500,000 liters of grape juice. Sure. So he called in a couple of his directors, and now this is their whole harvest gone. And so they called in a couple of believers, and they went and they prayed. They laid hands on every single thing. Monday morning, they took it to the lab, tested it, wine. Wow. Now, now that's a South African (laughs) example, right? Yeah. So now somebody else in the wine industry doesn't want to know Oh, here's the synoptic gospels and the law yeah. and this and that. They yeah. want to know, is there a guy in the wine industry who had a problem? Yeah. And what did God do? Wow. And what did we learn from that? Okay, God is Lord of this. Okay, did Jesus do that stuff? Of course he did that stuff. Yeah. yeah. First miracle, actually. <laughs> so That's a, right. It's a sign right there. Yeah, do you know what the second miracle was? Tell me. <laughs> That's a good answer. <laughs> okay, because it gets to your question of businesses discipling businesses. So the second miracle, right? Because the first miracle says, you know, and it gets quoted at weddings. You yeah. do a wedding, you know, Jesus showed he approved of marriage because that's where he did his first wedding, his first miracle. miracle yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But nobody says, Jesus showed that he approved of the wine industry, the catering business, the hospitality (laughs) business. Why not? You could draw the same conclusion. Anyway, second miracle. So in his second miracle, it was the centurion or the guy with, depending on which version, with the sick kid. And and then the guy says, just say the word, boom, John chapter 4. And he and his household got saved. What happened? An entire economic unit business unit family unit got saved all at once now this guy had a big household mm. and he was in greek mmwc the main man what counts that's what he was in that town <laughs> yeah. right he was the, he was the main guy and so the whole town knew right 
And uh, so when you reach a business leader, sure. the goal is that the whole company gets impacted, not that we get him into CEO's breakfast. You know, I don't care a hoot if you've got five CEOs meeting together in a secret corner uh, once a week. Yeah. So what? The key is that that CEO becomes the pastor of his people. Sure. It's much easier for me to teach the CEO or the MD or the director to care for their people than it is to say, Waldo, I'm going to teach you how to be a business guy, Yeah. which is the other way to try to do it, right? Or you know, to teach missionaries how to start a business. Yeah. I mean, every one of those guys should be caring for their people, their household. And that whole household, that was the second miraculous sign yeah. a, an entire unit got saved oikos economic unit from which we get economics right oikos household yeah. management so um yeah so household to household now if i if that guy can begin to care for his people and then he helps another guy to do the same thing then you have household to household transformation mm. business to business is the harvest ripe uh you got to ask yourself luke 10 jesus says the harvest is ripe you know I had a lady say to me once, Brett, I, I don't believe it. I said, you don't believe what? She said, I don't think the harvests are ripe. I'm in San Francisco, and the kids in my school where I teach are starting a Satanist club. Sure. I don't see people asking about Jesus. So I had to go back to the Word and say, is the harvest ripe? And Jesus tells us where it's ripe. He says, when you enter a house, you know, say, peace to this yeah, house. If it don't move around from house to house. Yeah, so five times he tells us where the harvest Now, in those days, the business and the household were co-located. Yeah. So where is the harvest ripe? Just walk down the street at Melkbos, go into every business and say, peace to this house. They'll think you're crazy, so find a better way to say it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's where the harvest is ripe, as well as the houses around, you yeah. know, actually house to house. Yeah. Our goal isn't to get the people out of their house into the quote-unquote house of God. It's to get the house of God into their house. Yeah, amen. Amen. And you say you're not a theologian. <laughs> so let's let's just take a step back again. How yeah? How did you? Why did you move from the pastorate into the secular world? What was the switch there? What made you do that? Well, yeah, that's a good question. I thought you were going to ask me how did I feel when I left the ministry, <laughs> which is one guy asked me once, and the answer is I didn't. Um, so we, when I was working at Price Waterhouse, I led a church. And so I had two jobs. Okay. So I asked God, okay, so when can I quit at Pricewaterhouse to quote-unquote go full-time? Yeah. And I had people in my church asking me, Brett, when are you going to go full-time? So instead I had two full-time jobs. Mm. Uh, I mean, literally ran the church, and I had the biggest clients in South Africa for Pricewaterhouse. So I had oh. literally two full-time jobs. And then to make it worse, I began to consult to Youth with a Mission a mission organization. And I found that what they wanted was evangelists and preachers. What they needed was finance, IT, marketing, sales. Sure. And I happened to have those guys sitting in my church, bored out of their skulls, because I had everybody in the church allocated to small groups, which meant I had six small groups, leader, co-leader, that's 12 jobs. Yeah. What about the rest of them? So then I developed a plan. I'm going to get rid of some of these guys to help the missions guys. <laughs> <laughs> Outsource them. So I had a plan to get rid of 20% of the people in the church. Wow. I didn't tell them which ones. That's, uh, that's uh, going against the norm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, so now I had three jobs. And God never released me from any of them. Because 
what we saw was that these three worlds were disconnected. Missions, if you like, where we think, you know, ends over the earth stuff. Yeah. And that's that's like top job if you can be a missionary. Actually, normally the people that bother us in the church, we send them off to the mission <laughs> field. But there we go. Okay, then there's the, the church world and the business world. And I found that as a church leader, there was stuff I learned in the business world that was relevant to running the church mm. and vice versa. So as a church leader, I found that there was stuff there that was relevant to the business world, and there was stuff in the missions world uh, that was relevant to both of the others, but they spoke completely different languages. So God spoke to us very clearly about starting an organization that would integrate all three worlds. So I run a business, quote-unquote, but actually our tagline is the head of a think tank, the hands of a business, and the heart of philanthropy. So we are a three-in-one organization, all in one entity. So our operating model is a business. It's the most efficient one for us for what we do. Plus, we're trying to reach people in the marketplace. I already have, we have some nonprofits, a couple of them, but I can't lead with the nonprofit when I go into a closed country, Mm. quote-unquote. And I can't say to the guys in the business world, sit up in my church office and tell them, hey, this is what you guys should do. You should do this, you should do that. They say, well, what are you doing? Right, But as a business guy, I can reach a business guy. Same thing, like I shouldn't be saying, oh, Waldo, you guys in the church, this is what you should do. They'll say, oh, yeah, Brett, but you don't run a church. Well, I have. Yeah. <laughs> and I do, actually, yeah. but it's in the marketplace. It looks different. Yeah, yeah. it looks different, yeah. Sure. Okay, there's a l- I'm just processing <laughs> you. I think you're breaking my brains at the moment. Yeah. But I want to jump back to a, a quote that I that I read from one of your bios on, on yeah. the internet. Forgive me for doing that. But yeah. it says, it says um, you're passionate about eradicate, eradicating the false barriers between facets of life, mm. and, and you are particularly interested in removing the barrier between the so-called secular and sacred. And, right. And I yeah. know you've obviously spoken into that. Yeah. But, but tell us more about this, and and maybe yeah, sure. to to double up on that, uh, where do you see the church mm. um, playing a role, or what's the church's role in that? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, the church's role is to equip people for the work of the ministry. This is what we should be doing. We should be equipping mm-hmm. people. Um, and then we say to people, I've been war driven outside of churches and that you're now entering the mission field, which is nice. You know, that's the sign on the way out the church parking lot. <laughs> and we attended a church in America that had this. But what they should put underneath that is, and you're thoroughly unequipped to do so. Okay. right? Because you don't hear sermons on cash flow, product development, marketing yeah. sales. You hear sermons on stuff that has to do with your spiritual life. Yeah. Now, how do you equip somebody who's running a company, who's dealing with contracts, BEE, whatever the issues are, how do you equip them with the tools that they need to For work. For the daily right? living. The daily living. And most people spend most of their time working. So I sat with the head of the Baptist Church in San Francisco, and he was responsible for three counties. I said to him, what percentage of people go to church? He said, we don't know, but we think it's 3 to 4%. I said, what percentage go to work? <laughs> you see? So you've got to get them there. Yeah. So, so the role of the church has always been to equip people to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And actually, that's not the role of the church. That's the role of the fivefold ministers. Five-fold, yeah. You have to get your mind around the fact that there are apostles in the marketplace. Yeah. There are prophets in the marketplace. Yeah. There are evangelists in the marketplace. Right? Absolutely. So the local church plays a particular role in terms of connection, uh, community, building people up. Uh, a friend of mine came to me from Texas and he said, Brett, I got a bunch of people meeting in my living room. I think I'm going to start a non-profit and start a church. I said, don't do it. I said, go talk to 
the pastor of your church. He was a young guy in Dallas. And just tell him what you're doing. And the guy had the smarts. He was in his early 30s. He had the smarts to say, look, Mike, I I run like a hospital over here is what the pastor says. You know, I take care of people. I fix them up and so on. But I have very few generals in my church. The generals are the guys who take people to war. Yeah, You're one of them. I'm going to release you from every responsibility in the local church. You take them to war. When they get shot up, bring them back. I'll fix them. Yeah. And then you take them out again. Yeah. Right, so I take people to war. That's what I do. Mm. Rob fixes them up, yeah. right? But he doesn't fix them up so they can be comfortable in milk boss. He fixes them up. You fix them up so they can go to war. Yeah. Now, churches do mission trips. They go out, and this church does expeditions out to go and do battle. So you mm. go and speak around the country. You go and, you know, you do things yeah. in shopping malls, in townships, in others. In, that's the going to war part, right? Those are the away games. Yeah. Like if you had a guy on your team that says, Waldo, I only want to play home games, right? <laughs> you would say, no, 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 you can't be on the Doesn't team. Doesn't work like that. No, you, you've got to go and play the away games, yeah. right? And so my focus is away games. Your focus is home games maybe, but you've got to play both. Yeah. I've got to do home games and you've got to do away games. All part of the yeah. same team. Yeah. That's brilliant. And so I answered one part of your question. Yeah, the other one the is dichotomy, part. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, the secular sacred dichotomy. So this is very much a, a Greek or a, a non-Jewish idea that some things are spiritual and some things aren't. And from that we get a whole bunch of language, even in the church, secular and sacred hymns and so on. So yeah. some things, it's like all animals are equal, but some animals are more, more equal, equal than others. And the more equal ones are inside the four walls of the church. They're on the church payroll. That's what we tell people. Yeah. So the issue is, is that we leave 95% of the people in the grandstands. That's what we do. Mm. And we tell them about rugby. We tell them about cricket, but they don't get to play the game. Sure. So when you, I used to, when I was leading a church, uh, you know, formally, I would try to, um, you know, get, you get people saved. They read their Bible. They pray. They're nice to the wife. They don't kick the dog. And then... <laughs> You kind of get a decreasing number of people, right? Yeah. And you end up with a handful of people, and these are the guys, and then maybe these are the guys you can take on a mission strip or they can become a small group leader or yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. What I do on the business side is completely different. I go into a business, and I get some barely saved garden variety pagan guy who <laughs> says he's a Christian, and I tell him, you're a minister, Okay. right? And guess what? And now some of them don't care. They don't want to be a minister. They'd rather just be, you know, something else. They don't want to be hoof deacon or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I do tell them, like there was a guy in Cape Town. I won't mention names. So we go through this consultation. Halfway through, the consultants come to me and they say, he's not getting it. I say to this guy, um, you know, we talk through. He, he doesn't want to be in ministry. He does. He has no aspirations around that stuff. He goes to church every now and then, but you could leave him in a corner and he couldn't find John 3.16 for five <laughs> minutes, you know. <laughs> anyway, I said to him, okay, how many people do you have in your company? Eight employees, he said. I said, okay. Uh, are they married? Yeah, all married. Kids? Yeah. So I said, okay, so you've got 32 people in your immediate company. I said, and he made kitchen 
counters, mm. you know, kitchen cabinets. I said, so do, you, do your eight employees install these things? Because I'm wondering how they do this. He says, no, I have three installation team subcontractors, 12 people in each team. That's another 36. I wow. said to him, what's the average size of a church in America? He doesn't know. It's 75, by the way. Sure. So I said, so you've got a church here, your installers and your staff and their family. Then I said to him, how many kitchens do you do every year here in Cape Town? 500. Wow. I said, how many people in each house? He said, well, four plus. So I said, that's 2,000 people you touch a year through this little business of sure. eight people. So I said to him then, do you sell a kitchen to everybody you meet? He said, no, I sell one in three. So I said, you meet with another 1,000 homes sure. every year. So I said, tell me a church in Cape Town that reaches 3,000 new people a year. Yeah, wow. There wasn't one at the time. <laughs> so I said to him, here's the story. God's not going to ask you, what did you do with Jesus? Should you get to heaven? Because that's what we tell people. Yeah, what did you do with my son? He's going to ask you, what did you do with those 60,000 people, 3,000 yeah. a year for 20 years, if you're in business 20 years? What are you going to do with those 60,000? What did you do with those 60,000 sure. people I gave you? This is not to talk about suppliers, bankers, auditors, and so on. He's like, oh, shucks. Then he goes off to his local Baptist church on a Sunday morning. He's going through his Bible now because he's accountable. What am I going to do? Yeah. And then he finds some verse that pops out at him, comes back, and now he's, he's fired up. So then he gets this idea, oh, what about these kitchens I'm taking out of Bishop's Court and Constantia? I can knock down those kitchens and make three kitchens out of each kitchen I destroy oh. and put them in the shacks outside Cape Town. I can reach another 1,500 homes sure. or shacks with another four people in each. I can reach another 6,000 people through an eight-person business. That's incredible. So I saw him about five months later. I said to him, how's it going? He said, oh, it's awesome. I said, what's going on? He said, yesterday, eight guys came with AK-47s and robbed the factory across the street. I said, what's so good about that? He said, no, I have a Bible study now in my office. Right? This is a guy whose employees were too afraid to go to the bathroom unless it was tea time. Wow. You know, But now he stops the factory for two hours on a Monday and he prays with them and they worship together. And on Wednesday, he's teaching other business people how to do what he's just learned. Right? Wow. And he said... Those guys across the street didn't want to come to my Bible study. But as soon as the guys with the AK-47s are gone, I was across there and told them, you could have got a billet. They're like, bro, pray for me, pray yeah. for me. I mean, the guy is now in God's business yeah. through kitchen cabinets. That's incredible. Reaching more people than the average church in Cape Town. Wow, wow. That's quite a perspective shift for you right there. Yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah. All right, so... Um, what else are you passionate about? I, I know these things are that yeah. just flows from you. Uh, what What do you do for fun? If we, if we got to know Brett a little bit. Okay, sure. Yeah. So, um, well, we travel, but that's that's Quite also an occupational thing. We travel a bit, and so we enjoy that. We enjoy people. I actually do enjoy writing. For me, it's it's something that I enjoy, okay. and uh, so. You know, um, I just wrote a book on the land issue in South Africa. Why? Not just because I felt like it, mm. but because it's an issue. And the question is, what does Scripture say about land? Yeah, That's the question. And so the same thing uh, pops up on other things. So we enjoy that. We enjoy experiencing new places. Of course, we enjoy our family, and they're now all in the States. Well, our kids are in the States and mm. grandchildren, so we go back and forth. And uh, But I enjoy... 
I enjoy thinking about new stuff. I enjoy writing about new stuff and uh, new people enjoy that. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my from a passion perspective, the abolition of dichotomy, I remember once flying in and we'd been on a hectic trip into uh, Egypt, then Israel. It was 5 a.m. We'd taken a 3 a.m. flight out of Tel Aviv into France. And I looked out the window. I was feeling pretty tired. I said to God, I don't have the energy to tackle every giant in every nation. Mm. He said, yeah, but you can tackle the same giant in every yeah, nation. Sure. So it's like pick a giant, you know, pick the one. And for me, the abolition of dichotomy, the sec secular sacred yeah. separation, that's is something I'm passionate about, and I see it pop up everywhere mm. in workplaces, in churches, in wherever, all over. Yeah. Wherever I see it, then it's like a little bit like a red rag to a bull. And so I'm not after the more the graceful dismantling of it. Let's put it that way, <laughs> <laughs> not the destruction, <laughs> breaking down. Yeah, I love what you do, and I, I love the passion behind it because I read a quote the other day I shared it with someone on the show as well. I think it says, you know, if you if you love what you do, you won't work a day in your life. Yeah. And even though you're so hard on work, and, I, and I'm yeah. fully with you on yeah. that, but I do believe there's something to actually have being passionate about what you do, because because yeah. that's something I see so often. That's something I'm passionate about yeah. is having people come into their divine design, what God made them for, whatever yeah. it is, whether it's being a sportsman or an actor, yeah. whatever that may be. Yeah. But I think people just plod along through life and they don't really yeah. catch that passion and they become yeah. frustrated. Yeah, what I've seen, Walder, is that uh, it's because we don't understand what work is. So in the Hebrew, the word for business and ministry is the same word and the word for work and worship is the same word. So sure. you can say, my place of ministry is IBM where I worship or my place of work is IBM you know, and my place of business is IBM where I work. It's exactly the same thing yeah. in the Hebrew mindset. Now what the enemy does is they tell people that some things are ministry and some things aren't. Mm. So if you're a travel agent or if you're a wine grower or whatever, you're not really in ministry. So our job is to tell people, yeah, 100% of us are called to work. Mm. Statistically, the majority are called to work in the marketplace. A very few of us are called to work in a non-marketplace setting. I mean, yeah. It's just the way it is mathematically. So what you're doing should be worship. It is your worship. The question is, what are you worshiping? Yeah. Right? Is yeah, the question. That's true. And so how do you take 100% of your effort... I mean, everything we do is work. You just get paid for a slice of it. So you actually, if you're saying 12 hours in a day, says Jesus, whatever you do, now you only get paid for a part of it, yeah. right? Who pays you doesn't make it worship or not? No, it's because whatever we do, we do it to the glory to the of God. Lord. So the lie that people have been told is if I work at FNB or if I work at Old Mutual or if I work at a software company or something or you know, at Milk Boss Fisheries or whatever it might be, that's that's, and so the lie is, oh, one day I want to get into ministry. Instead of telling them, you are in ministry. Yeah. yeah. Now, how can we help you minister better where you are? Yeah. And if we told people, you're probably called to be where you are. Because this other question is calling. When I wrote the book Convergence, people would come and say, oh, I don't know what my calling is. Now I tell them, you're called to work. Yeah. <laughs> Simple it. as that. Simple as that. Work where you are, and if God wants to shift your location, he can do it. But if you don't work fully for the Lord where you are right now, I'll give you an example. So a guy comes to me, and he's sitting in one of my meetings, and we're at this missions weekend conference thing, and he said, oh, I'm quitting my job, and I'm going to plant a church in western China. Sure. I said, what do you do? He said, I'm a senior manager at a high-tech company in Silicon Valley. 
I said, well, if I were God, I wouldn't trust you to plant a church in Western China until you planted one in your company. Yeah. The guy's shocked, right? So he comes to see me, him and his wife. She's also quitting her job. So I said, look, I know one guy at that company. He's been through our training. I'll connect you. So they get together. I said, you have free facilities, free coffee, free walking paths for prayer walk. You, and they all speak English, yeah. and they're 95% unchurched. They're probably more unchurched than the people in Western and China. And you probably won't get shot for doing it. <laughs> exactly. So I said, start something there. But it can't look like Sunday morning. Yeah. So they started a group. And their group was a couple of believers, agnostics, atheists, and undeclared. That's what they had, right? And I went to speak to them about marketplace miracles and stuff. And 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 that guy since went on to plant his church in China. And the other guy kept going with that group. Well, I got an email last week. One of the guys in the group, one of the atheists or agnostics, ends up with cancer, ends up in hospital, ends up in hospice. And our guy gets to pray with him to receive the Lord. Now, this is years later. We're talking six years yeah. later, right? But the fact is... You can have a church in every business. And this guy is thinking, I'm not in ministry till I go to Western China, rather than saying, okay, I can do both. I can have a church inside. I can have a group, an expression of the kingdom inside my company. And I can, in fact, every business trip I do can be a missions trip. And my company's paying. (laughs) (laughs) Bonus. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so you you touched on some of the, the, you've wrote many books. Uh, I've actually had the privilege of doing the Lemon lemon Ah, Leadership um, Test. Um, Maybe, would you mind explaining a bit more about how how that's beneficial, or how you use that with repurposing business in terms of leadership? Because it's obviously a leadership identifying. Yeah, Yeah, the leadership book. Yeah, actually in scripture, you know, we just talked about fivefold ministries, Mm. apostles, prophets, and so on. And in the Hebrew construct, leadership was always in a plurality. There was a plurality of leadership. This is something I learned from my time leading a church and so on. You know, you know that uh, elders are never in the singular. Yeah. Pastors are not pulled out separate from elders. So we say Pastor Rob, Pastor Waldo, but actually in the New Testament, there were elders, yeah. there were deacons, and there were saints. That yeah. was it. So we know, okay, technically, everybody's you're either an el- everybody's a saint and then you're either a deacon or an elder that's the story mm. so there's a concept of plural leadership you don't find even uh, sort of solo leaders like Moses weren't really solo leaders mm. right because they had Aaron's they had Miriam's yeah. and then they had this eldership structure around them so we know that to be the case but in the business world there's almost the cult of the leader mm. and how to be the leader how to be this leader how to be that leader and we have two types of leaders in the business world, entrepreneurs and managers. They say, if you go and do a PhD at UCT or Stellenbosch, that's it. There's two types of leaders. But what does the Bible say? No, there's more. more yeah. So Lemon Leadership deals with five types of leaders. Now, it's written from a, I don't want to say an agnostic perspective, because the principles are all biblical principles, but it's written in everyday language. Yeah, yeah. So that we can go and we can teach this stuff in any country. So I've been into China Indian police departments uh, with uh, Muslim uh, mayors in in cities or governors, you name it, Mm. uh, central banks, and taken Lemon Leadership in there. Uh, Recently, we're up in Morocco, where I did it with the governor of Casablanca. And he had 120 people in the room. 
including the last five guys who sat there. They looked like ser super serious guys. So I decided I'm saving my last question for them. And I asked them my last question. They were very reluctant to answer. And I found out afterwards they were the secret police. Yeah. Wow. So, <laughs> so, but the fact is we can go in with biblical truth packaged differently. Yeah. And uh, I have a good friend in Indonesia. And he teaches leadership stuff, character-based stuff. His pastor came to him and said, what are you doing for the kingdom? Now, he used to be a quote-unquote pastor, and then he got an MBA and a, and a PhD and so on. And he does general character-based leadership stuff. So he said to the pastor, well, I lead 200 people to Christ every year. The pastor said, how do you do that? Well, he teaches them character-based leadership. People come to him afterwards and say, I want to be like you. And he said, well, you can. Wow. The difference is Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. And most of these people are Muslims. Incredible. That's through one business. That's incredible. So for me, taking the leadership constructs or whatever they are, we can talk about principles of leadership. And you see, we were told to make disciples, not to make converts. Mm. And we've got the message, ah, a good Christian makes converts, like Bertie. You know, they just mm. like, he goes to the shopping mall and people get saved, yeah. right? And we think, oh my gosh, why doesn't it happen with us? But actually we were told to make disciples and to make disciples of nations. Yeah. You can disciple a pre-believer. So if you lead a business or you're sure. in the accounting department, we have people who are discipling their bosses. What are they doing? They're teaching them to work the way that Jesus designed them yeah. to work. They're teaching them to affirm their staff. They're teaching them to love their employees. Mm. They're teaching them to be ethical. By asking questions sometimes, is this the right way to do this? Yeah. Is this what we really want to do? So you can disciple everybody. So, And I watch people discipling cities. One of my clients I worked with, a Muslim man, understood more about discipling his city than the Christians did. Wow. Because he brought discipline and order and structure. These are biblical things. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Sure, Brett, there's so much. I actually have a hundred more questions that I would love to <laughs> ask you, but maybe we'll have to do a part two sometime. Okay. But but just to, if you have time, that yeah. is for us. <laughs> You're such a busy man. Um, one more question, Can mm. I, oh, and it's an, it's an easy one. If you, if you had to go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice, knowing what you know today, uh, what would that be? Maybe it's more than one piece of advice, but if, if you had to look back over the years and go, wow, if I actually, if I knew this, yeah, that's your toughest question. I shouldn't have allowed you to get there. Um, <laughs> and in fact, I snuck it in. Yeah, good. Yeah, I went through that exercise when I wrote a book called Extraordinary, which is was just looking back at what God had done over the last thirty, forty years, mm. actually, and seeing the miraculous stuff He'd done in the marketplace. At the same time, I had to look back. I went through my journals from way back, and. Um, and looked at some of the mistakes that I'd made, some of the things that I could have done differently, and certainly uh, there were some. And I think they, uh, there were opportunities that I had that I didn't take because I was waiting for a work decision or something. Mm. And I, my, my very first trip after we'd started what we're doing was into the Ukraine, into Kiev, yeah. when it was still closed. And I realized when I landed there and bounced along the runway and went through the dingy room that God said, uh, I didn't guarantee I'd bring you back. And you have to have that willingness, you wow. know, I had young kids and so on at home. 
and uh, then I had an opportunity to go back again, which which I was in the midst of a job change, and I didn't take that opportunity. I've not been back to to the Ukraine. So sometimes there are windows that come and go. So mm. not grabbing some of those opportunities, although we've tried to be faithful and obedient. Mm. Um, I would say that, um, you know, the lessons learned we've had some hard lessons learned when you're pioneering something and so most of those are captured i think in the extraordinary book i mean we are a work in progress mm. i'm glad you didn't ask me questions about being successful because i don't know that i don't view myself as being successful mm. hopefully we're faithful hopefully we're obedient um and how do you measure success that's a question we ask so I don't view myself as being successful in the traditional sense. And I think it's a work in progress. Mm. You know, I regularly I said to Lynn this last week, okay, when she asked me about a disappointment we had, how do you view it? And I view it as God is still good. He is still strong. Sure. He is powerful. One of the Psalms says, one thing God has spoken, two things I have heard, that you, O Lord, are strong and you are good. Mm. What was the thing that God has spoken? At the beginning of the psalm, it says, you won't be shaken. So when a disaster comes along, yeah. a difficulty comes along, we say, okay, but God is still good, and God is strong, and it's not over yet. Mm. And we have so much that is a work in progress. Uh, I mean, we're going into new countries. We're pushing into new things. We're still trying to figure out economic models. Even when we figure those out, you know, I realize that if God gives me a billion dollars, I'll have a $2 billion challenge. Mm. There will mm -hmm. always be a life of faith. You yeah. know? And so this gap between when God gives us a vision for something and where we are already, we live with that constant tension. Mm. And so learning to live with that Accept it, embrace it. I think that's uh, that's an ongoing, it's an ongoing part of the journey. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. So I do have some regrets. I things I'd like to have done differently, and um, but we are where we are, and uh, <laughs> we keep going. Keep going. Keep journeying. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, Brett, I, I'm I'm not often at a loss for words, but I, I really I feel privileged to have been been able to speak to you and to to learn from you. Actually, I'm going to have to go listen back to this probably more than <laughs> once because there's just so much in it and so much that that challenged me. Mm. Um, and in terms of your heart for for the kingdom, but also for for those that do not yet understand kingdom stuff necessarily, I, I really love how you how you bring those things together. Yeah. So thank you so much for your time. Oh, you're welcome, Volder. Thank you so much. And I. I, I, I I'm trusting that you'll put a good word in with your wife so that we can get her on as well. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And then we'll do a, a, a episode two or three with you again on some of your books. I, I would like to speak to you sometime about that that yeah. last book you wrote about the land yeah. grabbing and so on. I think that's such a, a, a relevant topic at the moment in South yeah, Africa. Yeah, it's a timely issue. We should talk about it. Yeah, yeah. so definitely. Yeah. Uh, when, when you're back in, in town again, we'll grab you for a coffee. Maybe we can do it at the heart or something, set it up there. Fantastic. Yeah, something like that. So thank good. you, Brett. Thanks okay. to the listeners listeners that's been tuned in today and yeah we'll be back again with another who's who until then bye bye